Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. All right, we are in Matthew chapter 7 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to bring up one of the most... This, this is the, today, the verse that we will look at today is the verse that literally more non-believers know than any other verse in the Bible. You probably, do you already know it? Yeah. Yeah, don't judge me, man. This is the one that is most quoted by the rest of the world. They actually know this verse better than any other verse in the Bible, and they will use it uh, against one another. It's, it's interesting to watch non-believers use this verse against other non-believers. Don't judge me, man. It's like, based on what? Why not? Why can't I? Based on what truth? Are you quoting the Bible right now? Oh, wow. Okay. Based on the truth of the Bible, you're using that uh, phrase. It's very interesting to watch this. So the title of the message today is, Why Are You Judging Me? And this is sermon number 28 through the book of Matthew. We're doing a series I've titled Jesus Worldview, where we look through the lens and the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get to see his views and what he believes what his opinions are on life. And we need this more than ever, uh, we, especially in this society. And I've said it many times, but I'll say it again. I always want to know what people's premise and foundation of truth is. They say, I believe, and then they'll declare something, and I want to know why do you believe that? And what is your source of truth? And a phrase that we hear a lot in our society is, well, that's my truth. Why is your truth more valuable than this person's truth over here? Why is this person's truth more valuable than this one, and this one more than this one, and this one more than this one? We need to have a source of truth that we actually get all of our truth from, which actually settles the argument of truth. Because if, we, if everyone has their own truth, we are now living in relativism, where nothing is actually true, Everything is true, and anything is true, and whatever anyone believes is true. Thus, we can never come to any conclusion on what is true. I believe murder is wrong. Why? Well, because it's wrong. Why? I don't believe it's wrong, a tribe might say. We think it's okay to kill that person because of X, Y, Z. Wait a minute. How are you going to prove that person wrong? You're both pulling from the same foundation, your opinion. So we need a source of truth. And the source of truth is the Word of God. We are unapologetic about this. Um, the source of truth is the Bible. And this is what I'm always trying to find out with people is what their source of truth is because it defines their worldview. It defines how they see the world. Many people's worldview is almost like... A, picking berries from a bunch of different trees. They kind of gather from all of these different things they call truth, and then they make their own soup, and then they say, here, have a taste. This is my truth. And then they'll go further to say, but I don't think I'm God. And it's like, but you kind of built your own moralism and your own morality, and you put it in a soup and then started selling it to the rest of the world, and you say that you're not God. But you actually are taking on a form of God, declaring that your truth is truth. I will never declare that my truth is truth. This is truth. 
this is my source of truth, and what this says is what we believe as Christians. This is our worldview, and that's why I take us to Jesus. He is the source of truth. How do we know? He actually said it. John 14, 6, I am the way, Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except for me. He was either a crazy dude, spun out, saying all these gnarly things, or he might actually have been telling the truth. Who, who says things like, I can forgive sins? Who says things like, I'm the son of God? Who says things like, I will resurrect myself from the dead? Some homeless dude on the street walking around saying that, you say, that dude's crazy. Some dude in a, in a million dollar suit walking around saying that, we'd say, is crazy. Jesus said these things, and then he actually proved them in his resurrection. He is the only person on the planet to raise himself from the dead. Jesus' worldview is what we look at today. And we get to look at his opinions on judging people. And uh, what a season to do this in, huh? Uh, strap on the five-seat uh, harness seatbelt today. Put on your helmet. We're going to go on for a crazy ride. Are you ready? All right, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to cover two verses. Heard of a woman. Maybe you heard the story. A woman was waiting at an airport one night. There were several long hours to wait for her flight. She hunted for reading in the airport's gift shop, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book, but she happened to see a man sat beside her as bold as can be and grabbed up a cookie from the bag in between, which she tried to ignore and not make a scene. She munched at her cookies and glanced at the clock as the masculine cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking if I wasn't a lady, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one or two. With only one left, she watched what he'd do. With a grin on his face and a nice nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he munched on the other. She snatched from him and murmured, Oh, brother, this guy has some nerve, and he's also quite rude. He never showed even polite gratitude. She had never known when she had been quite so, so galled. She smiled, smiled with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her stuff and marched to the gate with not even a glance at the thieving in grate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat and sought out her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her bag, she gasped with surprise. Her bag of cookies were in front of her eyes. If mine are right here, she moaned in despair, then the others were his and he was trying to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. <laughs> Why are you judging me? Miscommunication, misunderstanding too often causes this judging in our society. We, we choose not to understand the other and we allow too much silence in order to understand where the other is coming from, and we find ourselves 
at odds with one another, when we could actually be wrong, but we just don't have all the information. And this sadly has become a theme of our society. And we won't take the time anymore to actually sit down and have a conversation with one another. And I was reflecting on this, what's happened in our society is really this thing, the phone, has caused a lot of this. Because what happens is through text message and or email, all of the different things that happen between us through social media, talking and all these things, people will say things they would never say in person. I mean, never. If you just go back and look at some of the text message or things you've said on social media or uh, DMs and responses or things you talk to people on Craigslist or whatever it may be, the way that you say things and how you handle people, you literally would never do it in person. You just wouldn't. And we don't because we know it's not proper. We know that it's not honorable. We know it's not respectful because if we actually said these things to each other in person, we know it would cause an absolute blowout right there in the situation. Instead, we're cordial. We hold it together. We think things inside. Why are you judging me? This question has three meanings that come to mind quickly when I hear it. Majority of people who ask this question, why are you judging me, are saying and meaning, why are you disliking me? Why do you have a problem with what I do? What business is it of yours to say anything about me, right? They think you're putting them down. And I would say in most cases in the world and many cases in the church, it is true, people like to judge and put down one another. We actually bend in this direction. We actually take joy in kind of like pulling the other person down a little bit. It makes us feel good, it makes our flesh feel good. But when you're actually trying to help somebody because you really care about them, love them, and want to serve them and letting them know something is wrong in their life, and someone says, why are you judging me? With a humble spirit, we are able to say, because I care about you deeply, and I want the best for your life. And we got to get to this place in our society again. we got to get back, and the church needs to lead on this front. We need to learn how to properly judge one another. We don't know what we're doing, and Jesus talks about this today. What happens when you care about someone, and that is why you're approaching them, but you come off the wrong way because they don't receive or counsel perfectly? Who is at fault? This is the debate, right? You were judging me. No, I'm trying to help you. Well, it doesn't sound like you want to help me. It sounds like you're being a jerk. So now we are getting at the motive of each person. Did the person judging have a right heart and really have, have a desire to help or critique? Did the person receiving get super defensive without listening with a right heart? Or can they see the person approaching them is wrong? This is what happens on both sides. You have somebody trying to communicate right, trying to communicate wrong approaching. Then you have the per person receiving. You have the person receiving with critical ears, doesn't want to receive anything, or you have the person wanting to receive correctly. That's what we're talking about today. Let's discover the right and wrong way to judge, instructions given by Jesus himself, because we're actually doing it every single day, whether we realize it or not. We'll read the context and then we'll dive into a couple verses. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we're reading. He is the source of truth. God is the source of truth. After all, if we have a creator, if we have a creator, if we have a God, he for sure is the source of truth and has 
designed this earth and designed society in such a way in which he holds the key to truth in which we are how to be live how we are to be living and treating one another so we look to him Matthew chapter 7 take a look at verse 1 it says judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it it will be measured to you why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye but you do not notice a log that's in your own eye or how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye you hypocrite Jesus said first take the log out of your own eye then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye do not give dogs what is holy do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you let's pray Lord we thank you that you didn't just say one small phrase and leave it there you built out an idea and an understanding for us and I pray that we'd receive it today that we'd understand what you are trying to say to us your followers your believers please bless us as we study your word Lord Jesus have your way in us today we pray in your name in the name of Jesus amen you can be seated verse 1 judge not that you may not be judged judge not that you may not be judged judge not lest you be judged only God can judge me Tupac saying there's a sense in which we are not to judge men Charles Haddon Spurgeon says there's a sense in which we are not to judge men but there is another sense in which he would be an arrogant fool who did not constantly exercise his judgment upon men there's a balance here and we got to find it is Jesus saying never to judge of course not you have to use judgment skills deduction skills rationality every single day you're making judgments on everything you make a judgment when you cross the street your your mom taught you this your dad taught you this growing up look both ways before you cross the street right and you're casting judgment on the street and on the cars coming and you're making a decision on what is right and what is wrong you're making judgments all the time there is judgment that we face on this earth by others by police judges government bosses officials we do face judgment every day we really do we should also be making judgment in the church Matthew 7 15 we're gonna to get to this here in this chapter beware of false prophets Jesus says beware of them who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles so every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire thus you will recognize them by their fruits Jesus said we'll look at this closely in the coming weeks we are making judgment calls about people all the time and it is good to judge and reason to make sure we do not have wolves amongst us if we do it is my job to scare them off the shepherd protects the sheep without apology I'm sorry it is a 
it is a blessing and to be in the church and to be in the house of God. And if we have problem after problem after problem with somebody, I will politely ask them to leave. Yes, we don't need more people to shepherd. It is already difficult enough to shepherd. I'm not begging people on the street to come in. I will shepherd the flock of God entrusted to me. And I'm to do it well. And we have actually had these problems in the past where people come into the church to try to tear it down from the inside. And they come in as sheep, uh, as wolves in sheep's clothing. They literally look and portray and present themselves as wanting to do great things and be a part of the community and do all of this. And then all of a sudden behind the scenes, they're kind of doing this riffraff over here. It's like, what are you doing? You're trying to tear down the church from the inside? I'm sorry. There are a lot of churches in LA. You can go somewhere else. Or please don't go to church until you decide to actually follow Christ. We need this type of line drawn in the sand in this day and age because what it is creating is fake Christians. What it is creating is those who really say, I'm a Christian, and then they live like hell all week. And you can't actually tell that they're a Christian by the way that they live. They just say it, and then they go and live in sin, and they look like the world, and then it blurs the line. You can't tell who's a Christian and who's not. Trust me, you could tell who was a Christian in the New Testament days. Because if you said you were a Christian and stood up in the middle of wherever and said you were a Christian, you're probably going to be arrested. And you're probably going to go to jail. And you're probably going to be put to death in those days. So people were very nervous about proclaiming that they were Christians unless they actually were. It's much easier just to live in sin and not say you're a Christian in those days than to say you're a Christian and live in sin because the because the penalty was far greater. We are to make judgments in the church. It is very important that we do so to protect others in the church. James 2.18, but someone will say to you, you have faith and I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And so you, you, have, you have pastors doing the same thing. What if I as a pastor just proclaimed I'm a pastor? I'm a pastor. People are like, he's a pastor. But what if I lived like hell all week? And I was just destroying everything and tearing up everything. But then on Sunday I said, hey, I'm a pastor. Do you believe me? Just because I say I have this faith of being a pastor, does that make me one? No, 1 Timothy 3 says there are qualifications for a pastor. And if you don't meet those qualifications, you're not a pastor. Here is the true source. It's actually outlined and laid out. You can walk around saying you're Navy SEAL all you want, but if you haven't gone through BUDS and you haven't met the qualifications, you are not a Navy SEAL. And if they find out that you are saying you're a Navy SEAL and you're not, they're going to tear you down. You don't walk around in the military proclaiming something like that when you haven't met the qualifications. The same is true in the church. The same is true with anything. People walking around saying they have degrees, they don't have them. People walk around saying they have qualifications, they don't have them. They make stuff up. This is called lying. And you have people who try to sneak into the church and lie about being a sheep when they are actually a wolf. James 3.12, my brothers, can a fig tree grow olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So what is Jesus saying? He's not saying, assess not lest you be assessed. 
Assessing is okay with no bias motive. It's okay to try to understand what's going on, but really try to understand. Really take the time to understand. He is saying, condemn not, lest you be condemned. There's a difference. Jesus is saying, go ahead and assess. Go ahead and make judgment. But what is he not saying, or what is he actually saying, judge not, lest you be judged. He is saying, condemn not, lest you be condemned. And this makes sense. First, he is saying, you have no right to judge someone to heaven or hell. Even by looking at the fruit of someone's life, be very careful to pronounce hell upon someone because do you really know? Do you really know? Be careful because God is the final judge, not you about condemnation or not. We are to assess one another, but we are not to condemn one another. This is what Jesus is saying. That person may be on the path to salvation. They may already be saved, but just be very immature in their faith. They may be very mature in their faith, but completely backslidden like King David, who stole a man's wife, got her pregnant, and then killed her husband. We would look at him in that moment and say, this dude is not saved. Look at what he's doing. We would look at Samson and declare that he is not saved. But we find out that he was. So we need to be careful to pronounce condemnation on everyone, anyone. We should basically never do this unless they have said it themselves. They proclaim it themselves. You hear people saying things like, only God can judge me. I just said that. But this is scary because that's true. You know how scary that is? Only God can judge me, and he will. You will stand by God by yourself alone. Nobody else will be there. It will be you and him. Where are you going to hide? Me too. We die alone. We stand before God alone. And we have to give an account to him. Only God can judge me. Yikes. I kind of wish maybe somebody else in the room would judge me instead of God because maybe I could fool him a little bit. Only God can judge me. It's really true. And God will see through it all. No one else can make the final judgment but God. We need to be careful. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's important to see. This is a warning not to condemn people eternally and also in the here and now. Church, we are not sent here to condemn people. Did you know that? Jesus even said this, I wasn't sent into the world to condemn, but to save. John 3, 17. There's a fine line between condemning people and assessing what is going on in their life, judging in a right manner to help, not hurt. And the way we come off is telling of where our heart is at. That's it. It comes back to, once again, the heart. The motive and how we are handling the situation. Romans 4, 3, 14, 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Here it is, the squabbles amongst one another. You're doing this. I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and not the one, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? 
It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. This is a hard one. Man, when I was uh, first saved, probably the first five years walking with God, I just condemned everybody. Like, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. You, you are not walking with God. You think I'm, I'm intense now? You should see me when I was 20. I had no filter. I had no regard. I just bulldozed people. I'd have a, a great time be just having a blast, like this just kind of like really extreme uh, fun side of me, and then the other side was just absolutely hammers. Just would crush people. Because I thought I was doing the work of God, but I was immature. I didn't realize you got to handle with care. You know that, that, that package on the box? Uh, that, that wrapping on the box? You see that tape on there? Handle with care. You realize there's glass in there. There's something in there. Somebody's heart in there. You're, try, you're trying to win them to Christ. You're trying to portray the attributes of God. How does he portray full love and full holiness at the same time? He's a master of it, and we have to figure out how to do the same. Remember, we must remember this could be God's servant we are judging wrongly. It's, is not God able to discipline his own servant? It is not up to you to go around judging everything because you are not the judge. If you're being helpful, fantastic. We need more people who know how to do corrective surgery on one another. Good surgery. Come here, let me help remove some of that cancer. A great surgeon is going to come in with a scalpel and with care and come in and nice and clean. He's not coming in with a chainsaw. Let me open up that chest. This is terrible. He comes in with a scalpel. He comes in with care. And he wants a nice, clean cut precision so he can go in and repair, take out what is needed, and then close it up nicely so that you heal and recover well. We need corrective surgery on one another. Handling one another with care. We are not the ultimate judge. We, want, we need to be helpful. This is the judgment that Jesus is talking about. Judge not, condemn not, lest you be condemned. So next time somebody says that, don't judge me, man. Judge not, lest you be condemned. You're like, actually, you're right on that. Condemn not, lest you be condemned. But Jesus is not saying assess not, lest you be condemned. He is saying assessing is okay. Verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, use, it will be measured to you. Wow. If you just added this on every single time we quote that, judge not lest you be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Whoa. The same way that you measure other people in condemnation, if you're walking around with a ruler and you're measuring them, guess where that ruler's coming next? It's coming right to you. And that's the scary thing is to actually analyze our own hearts and to see where we fail and where we fall short. The judgment you pronounce on others, you will be judged with. But Christians won't face that final judgment, right? Correct but they will face the Bema Seat judgment of Christ. This is where rewards are given out. Romans 14.10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Paul is talking to believers. All of us will give an account to God for the way that we handled one another, for the way that we dealt with people in life. That's why he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Your Christian brother. Why do you despise him? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So next time you correct someone, next time you, you critique someone, next time you judge or assess someone, remember that you may stand before God for this moment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Point number one, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you four points before we close, and they're going to come in hot. So you ready? Point number one, condemning others brings you loss in eternity. Condemning. There's a difference. Condemning or correcting. This is really important, and they're actually, I like the words. They both start with C. Condemning or correcting. And it really shows the motive of our heart. Because even correction, if done with the right motive, can actually yield wonderful fruit. Have you been gardening at all in this spring season? Correction is nice and it produces amazing things. We trim back the rose bushes, Katie and I, and we put down food there. And, you know, when you're cutting off these rose bushes that have grown so beautifully, there's like all of these flowers everywhere. It's so nice. And you're literally just like cutting them down. And it literally feels like you're cutting off arms. You know, you're just like snip, snip, snip. You're just cutting, them off, cutting off flowers that are actually there. But why are we doing this? We're doing this to correct the growth and to move it in a certain direction. And then all of a sudden, when the beginning of spring comes around, guess what happens? Boom, a new explosion of flowers. And we've been noticing they're more thick and more lush than ever before. Because of the correction, the same is true with fruit trees. The same is true with my hedges. I was so nervous about my hedges. I bought them, they're like this big, and then they grew up last year to like this big. And I'm like, they're beautiful. Oh my gosh, we got green everywhere. This is awesome. And then, uh, you know, the gardening experts tell me, well, you got to cut them back. You got to trim them to shape. And I'm like, man, but I don't want to cut off the growth. It's so beautiful. It's so nice. What are you got to do it? We cut it off. We correct it. And all of a sudden, guess what? In six more months, boom, it just explodes even more beautifully. Condemning and correcting. The New Testament apostles and the Lord Jesus are telling us that Almighty God is watching the way that we condemn and correct. They're watching our works as Christians. It actually matters in eternity. It's like, oh, I'm saved. I don't have to do anything now. <clears throat> Hold on. Careful. We have salvation, the privilege and the blessing and the gift and the promise of salvation. Now we are called and required to do something with that salvation for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Here it is. There is a foundation that has been laid that no one else can lay, and that is the gift of salvation, Jesus Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. There it is. The fire will will reveal what kind of work we have done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is the picture that the Apostle Paul is giving. He says there is a foundation of concrete that has been laid, and that is your salvation. Each believer is building a house in eternity, and one day it will be tested with fire. How are you building that house? You're building it with the works and the motive of your works that you're doing for God's glory. You can use different types of material. You can build with precious gems and gold and silver and building this home in eternity, or you can build with wood, hay, and stubble, which are bad works, bad motives, bad deeds, not done for God's glory, but for our own flesh, or good works built with gold, silver, and precious gems for God's glory with right motive unto his glory. And what will happen is we are all building a house and there will be one there no matter what. I'm not building one. Yes, you are right now with your daily works and your daily deeds. The foundation has already been laid of salvation and boom, your house has been starting to be built. Some of you will have 30 or 40 years to build it. Some of you will have 10 years to build it. Some of you will have five years to build it depending on when you come to Christ. You're building a house, and when you step into eternity, it says here in the text that it will be tested by fire. And then Christ will look at what will be left of the deeds there in eternity. And it says there, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. How can we suffer loss in eternity? I don't know the answer to that question. But that is the language that is used here in the text. There is references to what we might be doing in eternity, like ruling over cities or building things or creating, doing all kinds of different things throughout eternity. Eternity is really a new earth, and we are in a redeemed new earth, living as they were in the Garden of Eden. That is heaven, and God would be uh, in heaven and eternity on his throne, and we, his people, would be on the earth, still building, still created in a perfect state. And it seems as though there may be different levels of work and jobs and eternity, and maybe the suffering loss could come through that somehow. I don't know. How do you suffer loss in a perfect place? Could be different capacities. We don't know. The point being is that all of our works are being tested, and we don't get to get saved, and then just going living as if we are not saved and think that it doesn't matter in eternity. It actually does. It's interesting that it is reference to the way that we condemn or correct people. Point, point number two, if you're taking notes. You are setting your own standard in eternity. You are setting your own standard in eternity. Interesting. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, Jesus says. God will judge you according to your own standard, the standard you place on others. You will now be held to that standard. Be careful. Jesus is not saying don't expect holiness out of people, but he is forcing you to find the balance in how you critique and judge others. 
Do you want to be measured by the same way you measure other people? You're like, ah, I'm kind of critical. I actually am very critical. I am. By nature, I'm a very critical person. Very hard on myself, and I'm very hard on other people. And I've had to really discipline and ratchet back time and time again. I was talking with my wife about this week. It's like, if I could change one thing about me, I wish I could, I wish I could get this away from my life, this, this desire to see people do things with excellence. It's a good thing on one hand, but man, it can be troubling on another. Because when things go wrong and I get frustrated, I cannot be the nicest person. You, pastor? Yes, me. Because I want things right. I want to figure it out. And I want to move forward, and it frustrates my world. But really, that's a, that's a king like queen syndrome. Like, wh- why, why do I matter so much? Who, who died and made me king? I'm not king. Jesus is king. Just one of his servants. Who am I to be walking around acting as if everything should be up to my standard? This is not okay. We have to work on that side. We need to be humble. We need to be welcoming. We need to be hospitable. We need to be accommodating. We need to learn how to flex with other people. And those kind of people that you're around that you know, you love those people. They're just the best people to be around. No pressure. You don't, you're not walking on eggshells. You're not worried about anything they think about you. They just think great things about you. They're a joy to be around. But man, the opposite, it's like, mm, kind of don't want to be around them. I don't want to be that person. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James 3.3 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who are teachers will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in a way in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits in, into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ship also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. This little thing is like a single match in a dry forest. It can start a fire, burn down the whole place. We got to be careful on how we correct. We got to be careful on how we handle people. This thing can mess everything up. I've said this before in the past, I'm, past, I'm not nervous to say it again here in the future, that I could destroy my entire ministry right now with, if I just went off for like two minutes with some things that I would say, I could destroy the entire ministry and I would never preach here again. Just like that, the power of this tongue. And you can destroy relationships like that very quickly as well. And you say things you wish you would have never said, you try to pull all the rope back and you can't get it back but it's helping you to understand how powerful this thing is and God sees it as well. And I know you don't want to be that person. I don't want to either. But I'm, I'm instructing and encouraging you in this because we have done this terribly in our society, sadly. We have really been harsh with one another. We have really hurt one another. And now what the society doesn't realize is, 
to, to which they have used a measuring stick for others, they will now have to stand up against. People forget this. I think it's a free-for-all because there is no God. But if God is watching, there is a measuring stick. We've got to be careful. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, Jesus says. To me too. Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, make me new. Give me a new heart and a new mind. Rip this tongue out. Give me a new one, please. Help me. Humble me. Lower me. Point number three, be careful to judge. We might have to pay for it. Romans 2, verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, everyone who judges. For in passing judgment on another, we condemn, your, we condemn ourselves because you, the judge, practice the very same things. This is what's crazy. The Pharisees did this, and really everybody does this to some degree. We literally throw bombs at other people for not meeting our standards, but then we don't meet their standards in the same way. We, we forget that we actually fail in all kinds of areas. Not me. I never fail. Yeah, you do. Let me talk to your spouse. I'm perfect. There's, there were these guys who used to go street witnessing back in the day in my early 20s. We'd be out on the streets, and there were these guys who used to uh, preach a doctrine called sinless perfection. They'd walk around and be like, you know, I've, I've never sinned since I came to the Lord Jesus. Like, Serious. You've never sinned. Yeah, I'm the perfection of Christ. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm walking in his righteousness, and I never sin anymore since I came to salvation. I'm like, let me talk to your wife. <laughs> you liar. Th this is ridiculous. We have to remember that we are all sinners and that we are all in need of salvation. Well, I'm a better sinner than that dude over there. You're missing the point. <laughs> I'm more mature than him. I understand. If you are more than sure, then pull up your brother and encourage him and strengthen him. If you are more mature, then do the right thing and stop condemning or cutting the wrong way. If we are mature, then we should have reached a point in which we know how to handle people with care. Before passing judgment on someone else, I dare you, here's a quick little uh, tactical thing that you can put in your toolbox. Read 1 Corinthians 13 before you approach them. Read 1 Corinthians 13 before you approach the person. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, speak all the languages of eternity, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have all the prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith as so to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. doesn't matter if you're getting, you, you, you have all these extra gifts and you have all this ability to pour on everybody else. If you don't have love, it's useless. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Go back and insert the name 
God there for love or Jesus there for love and read it again. Jesus is patient and kind with you. Jesus doesn't envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude with you. He does not insist on his own way, is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That not insisting on his own way has to do with patience. Is he demanding that you arrive today at the highest level? No, no, he's long-suffering. He's a father who walks with his child through life and helps you mature and grow, is patient with you. Me too. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, even to the point of death, the cross. Praise God. Our final point today, judge as a sinner who has no ground to judge. Who am I? Remember who we are, that God would use me. Who am I that I should point out fault in someone else? It should be in a broken matter, a humble matter. And I have had to eat humble pie in many different times in my life. It's a good thing. I hate it. It's a good thing. To be broken before the Lord and to realize I'm wrong. I am wrong. It's good to remember that you're wrong in a lot of places in life. We're all sinners trying to judge other sinners. We're all in need of God's grace and mercy. James 4.11 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Don't do it. The one who speaks Against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Condemn them. This helps us remember who we are. Romans 5 verse 6. For while we are still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For though we'll scarcely, one person may scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die, but God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, he died for you when you were doing the most wrong. When, when you were doing the most wrong, he didn't show up in your wrong and be like, you idiot, what's wrong with you? Can't you get it together, man? Come on. No, he sees you and he lays down his life for you and saves you and picks you up and restores you. That's the love of our God. It should permeate our lives and permeate our culture. You know, in marriage counseling, I've heard it too often from a lot of the older pastors I've been around. When there's an argument going on and one won't forgive the other and the other won't forgive the other, they're just deciding neither is going to forgive and they're on the brink of divorce. But they both claim to be Christians, maybe even mature Christians at that, I've heard the pastor say many times, let the more mature Christian forgive. Let the more mature one forgive. We claim that we are walking with Christ and we're in such right standing with him and we do it to such a degree that we actually feel that we get to look down on others and tell them what they're doing is wrong, yet we will not step up to the point of maturity when God is calling us to to make things right with somebody. You want to win the argument or you want to win the person? Really? God is on a long-term journey to win his people for his glory, and he is winning. He's going to win. He's going to win me. And he has perfect precision in knowing how to correct and when to correct me. 
It's always perfect timing. And I'm thankful for that. Because that is exactly how we need to be correcting and handling one another. I want to close with this story that Jesus tells. It's in John 8. Do you remember? It's a great story. Jesus returned, and it really, it really, it really tells the story of this verse. Judge not, lest you be judged. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. Early the next morning, he was back at the temple again, and a crowd stood gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Jesus starts teaching them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. She's literally caught in the act. They put her in front of the crowd, and they say, Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. She's wrong. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stood down, stooped down, and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone at her. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. He stooped down two times. They say, we caught this woman in the hotel at the place at this house doing this, and we are to condemn her. I wonder if Jesus started sitting down in the stand. He'd stoop down two times. I wonder if he just started writing all of their names in the sand. They're like, how does he know our name? And he stands, stands back up, and he's waiting there, and they say, the law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say we should do? He says, let the first one without sin in his life cast the first stone. And we're like, we're Pharisees. We don't have any sins in our lives. And then he starts to write the sins under each of their names. This hotel, room number this on this date. <laughs> Boom. And what happens, verse 9, when the accusers heard this and saw what he was writing on the ground, they slipped away one by one, being the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she says, no, Lord. And Jesus says to her, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus was the only one who actually had the ability to throw a stone at her. He was the one. He was the judge. And he chose not to. He chose to forgive her. And that is the gospel. That's the magic of the gospel. It moves us all because we all know that we are the ones standing in the crowd who should be the one being stoned at some point in life. And it was Jesus who stood up for us and says, no, no, forgiven. They're broken. You don't need to condemn. It's okay to judge fruit to help, never to condemn family. To help an individual, the church, be careful to say that person isn't saved. They're going to hell. Be careful, because if we are wrong, we are the ones in trouble. At the same time, can we get back to the day where we lovingly challenge each other and still be friends? Can we do that? You want to challenge each other over some coffee? Let's do that. And then let's 
Let's have a hug. Let's hug it out, you know? Let's move on with life. Let's get back to doing this. Stop flipping tables in front of each other and being so ticked off when there is no abrupt sin there. We just got different opinions. We're ticked. We're angry. Society has become so soft, you can't say anything without people being so deeply offended. Let's remember who we are. We are not a king or queen. We are sinners. So why do we walk around with the, do you know who I am mentality? You can't say that to me. Don't challenge me. Don't ask me. How about we all just lower ourselves and just have conversation with one another cordially and the way that we've been doing for a long time. Let's get back to that. Let me just throw this thing away for more hours of the day. And don't hammer each other on there because you just might regret it. If there is a lesson out of 2020, let us pull from that. When someone corrects us or challenges us, let's learn how to handle with care. In our society and our own lives, we'll all be much better. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. You are a fierce king. You are a fierce king who rules the nations and who crushes the enemy. And at the same time, you are a loving father who takes time with your kids and helps us to grow. You're amazing. You could have judged us a long time ago, yet you have allowed your love and long suffering to go with us. And we're thankful. We're thankful this morning. And Lord, we pray that it would grow our minds to be those who have corrective surgery with one another. We would be able to grow and understand and find humility, but also bear much fruit in the way that we handle each other. Lord, the church needs more pruning more than ever before. Lord, would you prune us and let it bear much fruit in the near future. To bring forth tenfold, a hundredfold like we have never seen. Teach us, Lord, what it means to walk with you and serve you and handle one another. Please, Father, don't allow your church to be divided. I pray that you would unite us under Christ in obedience, in the truth, in great unbelievable love. The world would marvel at the way we handle each other and even handle the world. Use us for your glory. We recommit ourselves to you again today. We ask for new hearts, new minds, new tongues. Resurrect us. Guide us. Bless us. We love you, King. We lay ourselves at your feet. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen.